Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is episode number 44. 44 strong, man. This is your boy, John Richards, a.k.a. Jay Rich, and I'm here with the homie, Chris Lasseter. What's up, C-Lass? Uh, what up? You got it, man. So episode 44, man. Who is the athlete, the feature athlete for this episode? All-time greatest number 44. The logo. Womp, womp, womp. Jerry West? Yeah. Bro, I know we're both basketball fans, but you just did a great disservice to my man, Hank Aaron. Hammer and Hank. Yo, would you be real mad if I told you I didn't know that was his number? <laughs> I might, man. I might. I read his biography, though. But do you know that him and his brother have more home runs than any other brother combination in baseball. I didn't know that. Hank might have carried the load, though, because he hit 755. His brother hit 13. <laughs> there it is, Hank. Exactly. So I, I'm going to go with Hank Aaron, man. I'm a Braves fan. I got to. I can understand that. I'll go with Hank Aaron, too. You convince me. That's I'll let your you one have... win for this podcast. I'll let you have the logo, though, man. It's the NBA, and Jerry West has been a great player. GM doing all types of thing in the league, things in the league. So I'm good with that word. So we're both sports heads, right? Love sports, love football, love baseball, love basketball. But man, we got to start somewhere this week. And it seems like this has been the talk of the town in regards to uh, the NFL season and this fall being probably more about what's happening well, on the field, kind of, but not really on the field in the game situation. Obviously, we're talking about the protests, right? So, so Chris, question for you, man. There's a lot of stuff surrounding the NFL right now. A lot of political stuff, a lot of social stuff happening. I have a question that I want both of us to kind of address. Can the NFL survive this thing that's happening right now and we'll probably define that thing in a few minutes here yeah so um it's so funny that like we pose it like that and just to kind of uh pull back the curtain on the podcast as we were texting through the week i think in our minds we were both kind of say like hey wouldn't it be great to do something not related to the race for our sports topic but it just seems like it's such a dominant thread in the sports news media right now i would love to talk baseball playoffs or something but this has really been like something you can't avoid but i remember asking myself this question when we first started learning about cte and saying like man like like we could be seeing the end of football as we know it as we get these more and more discoveries and then will smith comes out with this movie and now it's in pop culture. It's not just a football discussion anymore. But then this came along and there's really like no one who says they're not like no base that doesn't have this boycott out for the NFL. So you have it on uh, the sides of a group that feels marginalized, who says like we stand with Colin Kaepernick and we're boycotting the NFL. And then you have the counter protest that say like, hey, we don't like the way you're protesting and so we're going to protest the way you're protesting and so we're not supporting any of the nfl's games or their sponsors 
And so really, it's like, who does the NFL have left to turn to? But I don't see a way out for them right now. Like, I can't see a way. I don't understand how they survived this publicity hit. I know it's typically been the most beloved sport in our country for my adulthood. But I, I don't see how they repair this, especially in a country that just seems to be increasingly fractured and everybody's boycotting something. Like, how? Like, how? What is the way out for them. I'm I don't so confused, man. So confused. People protesting, protest that protest. It's like it's like an ongoing cycle, man. <laughs> and even our vice president got involved this weekend, right? And people called him out and thought it was a publicity stunt. And it just goes on and on and on. And then our girl Jamil Hill, right? So months ago, she called, basically called Trump a white supremacist and the ESPN kind of laid the smackdown on her, right? So uh, this weekend, she called out Jerry Jones, who recently, Mike Wilbon basically said on ESPN, hey, he's running a plantation. <laughs> so they said she violated the social media policy and suspended her for two weeks for a second violation of the social media policy. Now, Chris, you are a journalist at heart. Is it tough not to bring your personal opinions into journalism or is that does that make for good journalism? Like are we team Jamil or do we understand what ESPN did here? So that's a great question. Uh if for me, I did this as a profession from 1998. I came into the journalism business covering Virginia Tech football got to do Michael Vick's first two years it was great and then I got out in 2013 and so this is I'm out of this before Trayvon I'm out of this before the 2016 election so you could have an opinion on a lot of stuff but it never received this type of reaction like like our country's been divided like we aren't creating the divide with all that's going on. We're exposing a divide. I think that at that's least good. that would be my perception. That's good. Right. But now, like anything you say, there's so much backlash to. Um, and, and, and of course, you and I both being Christians, we say like, like ultimately, like my first responsibility isn't even to my brand. I sprint the company that I work for now or any of that. Like all of my social media posts have to be. Um, lorded by Jesus Christ. And so, like, I try to be careful from that regard and say, like, hey, you can have opinions on things, but are you doing it in a way that's gracious? You know, um, definitely have strong convictions and passions on things and injustice in particular, you know, but um, want to submit those to the Lordship of Christ, just like any speech that comes out of my mouth. So it was a completely different era. I'd be interested to see what it was like for people now and the other thing is i was doing it at a local newspaper in my hometown and so no national media outcry and we didn't cover as much of this but it'd be interesting to see like if high school athletes in my community were protesting and i was covering it like how that played out in the media i'm sure um that would be tricky to navigate the tough part for me is when all of this gets politicized right so after this weekend the blow up and all of that a letter, I guess a fundraising letter went out to Trump Pence campaign folks basically saying, hey, make a contribution for at least five dollars to show that I will stand for the flag and get a sticker. And I'm sitting here like, 
man, and we've talked about this before, we're missing the original intent of what Cap did a little bit over a year ago. And then we get a harsh reminder of that this weekend when another black person is shot in the back by police officers. It is unnerving, man, to see was that, that in this Utah? Is, yeah, that this is becoming a political deal. And we're talking about patriotism and flags, and we're still not talking about black bodies. Like it really, really bothers me, man. So the fact that Jamil Hill gets suspended because she kind of exposes some of that. And it'd be interesting to, to see what happens to Will Bond if nothing happens. But he literally said that Jerry Jones was running the plantation. And that's pretty visceral, man. But the truth of the matter is, man, both sides can kind of get into this politicizing of things without remembering what the original intent of what Cap was doing um, was, which was to shine a light on problems that we have in this society. And I would like to turn the light back towards that and forget about all this patriotism flag stuff. People are really, really hurting over what has happened in these streets, man. And something needs to be done. Something. The, the other thing to answer our original question is, I don't know if you remember when the whole Ray Rice controversy came down, but every other sports league took a hard look at their policies and said, hey, this was horrible for the NFL. We're not trying to go down that road. And so the NBA comes out with all these policies. Like, they're not dealing with the issue. They're getting out of front of issues. It's just interesting to me that when the NBA had this issue, when Chris Jackson, who was later Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, was doing this, they put a policy in place. And you would have thought that all the other leagues would say, hey, that wasn't great publicity for the NBA. We're going to go ahead and put that in our bylaws now. But the NFL came up with a should. <laughs> Maybe you guys should do that. And now Goodell, mm. in the light of um, losing all these sponsorships and people protesting the sponsors as well as the games, wrote a letter to the NFL today just saying, like, hey, we've got to figure this out. Like, we're losing revenue quickly. So, yeah, getting hurt somewhere, man. So, man, it seems like every week we're talking about something like this. Um, but, you know, NBA season's about to start. I'm excited about that. I'm pretty sure that we're going to talk about that next week. But because we have our ear to the ground and people are talking about this, we want to make sure that we continue to address it from a gospel center perspective and try to uh, point people towards the cross and not a flag. How about that? How about that? All right. So speaking about the cross, we're about to talk about evangelicalism and it's about to get tight. So a Pew Research study done a couple of years ago basically came out and said that only 6% of black Protestants considered themselves evangelicals. Whereas, on the other hand, around 74, no, 76% of white Protestants identified as evangelicals. Now, that's a really, really steep decline between blacks and whites in terms of what evangelical means to them or whether or not they're part of the tribe. So 
that kind of leads to the question of like, hey, where are all the black evangelicals? Like, do they even exist? We both have been kind of monitoring uh, Lecrae's career arc. And apparently uh, John Piper has as well, because he released an article last week talking about Lecrae's appearance on Truth's Table, which is a podcast done by three wonderful, thoughtful African-American women um, who talked to Lecrae about him leaving white evangelicalism or loosening his ties with them. And Lecrae had several reasons why he did that. And he basically said, look, I'm tired of like, I looked in the Washington Post and saw that I was called the evangelical mascot. Like <laughs> anybody who, <laughs> who hears that is definitely going to be like, oh, wow, wait, just one second. We got a problem here. And then there were some things in black culture that he experienced. that was like, wow, like I'm really missing my culture. Like he has a really good friend who's a curator of a history of California Amer African-American Museum. Um, he uh, read Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro. So um, Lecrae is thriving in what we call his wokeness, right? So I um, thought through this and I'm like, wow, there's this really, there's really this rise of these woke black evangelicals. That is a beautiful thing, man. And even John Piper in his article was like, hey, let's not be so quick to criticize this man for loosening his ties with white evangelicalism. There may be something to that. And I think that there is, too. So historically, uh, we've had some problems getting the African-American story included there. So it seems like this smaller tribe that I'm talking about has started to kind of tell our stories and not only tell our stories, but allow our issues to be addressed both theologically and socially. And I love it, man. I love it. So I have a question for you, man. Have you really thought about this new movement or even the term wokeness in terms of in Christendom and how it applies to um, how it applies to what we do here on the podcast? And then just as in terms of Christianity as a, as a whole. I, I'm not sure my mind runs to much else, um, Jay Rich, and I'll tell you why. For me, it's a, it's a gospel issue, and it's this. I worked at a campus ministry, and so essentially that is, um, that is just where I do ministry, right? Like it is defined by all the kids that make up a particular high school. All right, so now you are working with these kids. These kids are in your home all the time. You're with them all the time. You're at their football games, and they graduate. Now, where do I send them to church? Um, like, where do I where do I point them to say, get plugged in? Do I send them to a church who says, hey, biblically and theologically, we line up on like these main points, but your culture won't be. Like it won't be expressed in anything we ever do here. Or do I send people to a church where maybe like, hey, this will feel way more con culturally comfortable, but uh, we might not be aligned on some theological issues, right? And and I feel that tension, man. And it, I mean, I feel it in a way that hurts because these are kids that I'm hoping go somewhere and get shepherded well, but aren't asked to change um, their culture in order to be shepherded well from either end. Um, so I do mm. want them to have sound theology and I do want them to be who God made them to be in the culture 
that God made them to be. But what I've seen recently is this rise of church planters who have the gospel right, who get the cultural context, and now they're starting to make disciples where um, we're not having to leave our own culture to be sound, like doctrinally, and to be discipled well. And so now we're able to walk back into churches that are being pastored from people who may look a little bit more like us, and we're able to critique, you know, um, hey, this was gospel, let's cling to that. Hey, this was colonialism. Like, I don't need that mm. that you handed me in order to be more Christ-like. That's just your culture. And so as that critique goes on, you start to see these things and you're saying like, wait a minute, we're not aligned here. And actually, we think this is a more biblical picture, especially when it comes to justice and injustice issues. Mm. And so um, hopefully in the future, we'll see more cross-cultural churches um, that allow um, me not to have that tension and to have brothers and sisters of all races walking through all woke. So, And you're right. I mean, there are differences on what issues need to be addressed. Um, you know, white evangelicals tend to um, run towards, and these are very important issues, uh, issues like uh, abortion um, and, and, and right to life. Uh, which are great. Uh, black community celebrates that. And the black community has been decimated by it with a lot of clinics um, placed in the urban context. And we know the history behind the founder who did that intentionally. Uh, but at the same time, African-Americans do feel like race is still a prominent issue at play in a lot of systemic injustices in this country. And a lot of our colleagues have been silent on that. So this wokeness is trying to help them understand our plight and understand that there are some uh, theological differences that um, can help them move towards understanding uh, where we're coming from. So uh, that gospel issue of brothers and, and sisters coming together and having these conversations is something that um, excites me. It's something that, that continues to give me hope but at the same time, you get tired of your words bouncing off a wall like you want people to actually get it. And for someone like Piper to step up and say, hey, uh, th this is actually something we need to to keep our eye on because um, I'm thankful and hopeful that this will help us move towards a kind of a holistic approach here. I would just say uh, one final point, too, is. Um... Why do we have to continue keep having these conversations about race? And for me, it, it becomes a central gospel issue in this. There is a group of people that look at the um, historical narrative of Christianity in America. And um, those African-Americans might see Christianity as a tool of oppression. And so continually keeping these issues in the forefront, but hoping to look through them through a gospel lens is to say like, hey, no, this is where your hope is. Like, it may have mm. been misused as a tool of oppression, but that's not what the gospel is. So let's be clear. Let's separate those things. Don't look at what's going on and say, see, I told you so, and not hear African-American Christians saying, no, like the God of the Bible hates injustice and speaks that clearly. And a variety of passages, old and new. So, yeah, amen. 
And I I wrote an article on the rise of of woke evangelicalism that should drop sometime this week on RAN, um, the Reformed African American Network. So make sure you go over there and check it out. It kind of fleshes some of this out a little bit more. Uh, we don't have too much time to spend on that, but we wanted to address it because it is the elephant in the room in terms of evangelicalism, where six percent of blacks feel like they're evangelicals when the essence of the word means gospel, uh, means gospel proclamation. That's a problem. And I'm just hopeful that we're moving towards a solution. So grateful for that. All right. So, Jay Rich, I thought that was good. And I do hope everyone gets a chance to check out your article and also check out the words that uh, John Piper had on Desiring God about uh, Lecrae and just a topic that runs very similar to what you've been writing about, which I'm sure will bless a lot of people. Also, um, you got to check out my man Jay Rich's website, johnrichardsjr.com. It's always lots of good stuff that points you to the gospel on that. Speaking of pointing people to the gospel, Jay Rich, last week we talked about how Christians can grow. And this week I'd love to take it from the other aspect is how can we be involved in that process of helping other Christians grow. There's a saying, uh, God grows his people by his people or through his people. So if I came to you and said, Jay Rich, hey, I got this homie I've been kicking it with. I'm just trying to figure out um, what it means, what it looks like for me to disciple him, to get him grounded and deeply rooted in the gospel and to help him grow in his affection for Jesus Christ. What does it look like to do that or help be part of that process for another person. Yeah. So uh, I would start by saying this. Okay. This is a very important issue that uh, most Christians should be thinking deeply about. When you have Jesus in Matthew 28, taking the disciples to the mountain uh, where, where he told them to go and comes and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And the first words that he said, or go and make disciples of all nations. I think it's important. <laughs> I think discipleship is very important for us as believers, but a lot of people don't know what that looks like. So for me, um, first of all, I would say that discipleship is looking to ground men and women in the gospel. And you can only do that through um, personal Bible study with one another, uh, processing uh, the gospel in different various passages and sowing the gospel into the life of someone else. So I know that there are various Bible study groups that people are part of, but there may be an opportunity for some people to have one-on-one -on -one time with folks and actually dig deeper into the scriptures and think through gospel implications of all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So sowing that into uh, men and women. I'm doing that with my son now. We have a, a new um, workbook that we're going through that presents the gospel from Genesis to Revelation and sitting down with him, asking those tough questions, making sure that he understands the essence of the gospel because that's what's gonna get them through as disciples is actually understanding who Christ is, what he's done for them, and how that lives out in implications for, for their lives. So I would say that would be the first thing to do is like get them really grounded in the gospel. 
And then two, just kind of serve as a present example. You know, that's what Paul did for Timothy, right? He, uh, he asked him several times, like, hey, follow my example, because he modeled what the Christian life looked like. He said in Christ, he, used to, he said that in, in several of his statements and saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. So, so it's not this, um, this fleshly, Hey, I'm, I'm all that type of approach, but it's more so, Hey, as I am in Christ and you see the fruit of the spirit at work in my life, follow that example. An example was one of the greatest ways in which you can be able to disciple folks. You, you never know how much of an impact you can have on people by just being a good example to them. I had a friend who just finished her uh, D men dissertation and he wrote something about me in the acknowledgements. And I'm like, where'd that come from? But he'd been part of a Bible study group that I was leading and, and kind of help, help him through that process. So he was like, man, you just don't know how much that impacted me. So, um, yeah, I would say just, just be that example as well. So that would be two things I would say much more. I could say, but I'd love to hear from you, Chris. I, I couldn't add anything to like the structure. If I could add anything it might be like, all right, so now what do I do practically? Uh, one thing is saying there's a time commitment involved. And so saying yes to that in a person's life probably means saying no to something, maybe a little less TV in your own life or whatever. If there is free time where you can cut that, like, hey, let's invest that time in a way that makes a difference. Um, like we're called to be part of this church and um gospel preaching on a Sunday and sitting under like the word being taught is a means of grace but like it really takes root when you're face to face with someone saying like hey did you understand Sunday's sermon like all right what are we going to do to live into that truth this week like how are we going to make this gospel truth how are our lives going to reflect that the rest of our Christian lives and really like taking time to process those truths with people is important. I heard somebody say once, you can impress people from far away, but you can impact them from up close. And that's always stuck with me in terms of discipleship. It's like, this person needs to like not be impressed by me at all, but needs to have enough access to me where like it's not impressive at all. It's just a normal part of the fabric of his life. And then the second thing is think intersectionally. Um, we all get 24 hours in a day and both of us are married with kids at home and that that's a huge responsibility that we both delight in, but it's still a time commitment. But if you're going to play ball, if you're going to lift weights, if you need to work on your car, those are all opportunities where you invite people in who you can um, help push towards the gospel or point towards the gospel often and redeem the time where you can have somebody with you just to be talking and processing the gospel so those are those will be other things um that i would i would mention as well and i think it is i think um it's just like teaching someone to play basketball or lift weights you know i let's take a look at what you've been doing in the past hey let's try to gently get you in better habits it's not all going to happen over one night but we just want to see progress every day we want to see you be more in shape with better habits to get better day by day we want to see you a better basketball player today we want to see like you leaving bad habits behind and picking up good ones that are gonna help you be able to play when jay rich and i are getting together and picking up fives we won't have to leave you on the bench <laughs> right so those are things i would think that's great stuff man 
It's good stuff. So both of us are really passionate about about discipleship and and seeing people disciple other people who disciple other people. That was Jesus's motto, and it worked out pretty well, I'd say. Um, and I think we do well to kind of imitate that model through him and the apostles in the in the New Testament um, as we look at what they what they were were able to accomplish through this discipleship model, just kind of that life on life. Um, everyday life discipleship. It's great. All right, Chris. So we like to give some resources uh, to our listeners as they continue to kind of develop their own discipleship and their spiritual journey. So uh, what type of resource would you commend to our listeners on this episode? Can I do two this week? For sure. All right, so this week I wrote a blog about something that was happening at my church that I thought was really cool. And we've just had this, um, we watched um, statistics say that like, hey, uh, people are leaving the church and more and more people in America would um, consider themselves no religious affiliation. So we've just did, um, we're in a part of a six week series at our church um, just talking about the gospel and people with no religious affiliation. And it's still expository. My pastor's still walking through text. It's been amazing, but he's he's done it with people who might have objections to the gospel in mind. And it's it's been incredible. Um, pass it on. If you get a chance, um, it's I think our website at our church is like holycrosspca.org. Um, the series is called Reconsider. So if you know someone who's wrestling and is open, if they're not open to it, don't try to jam it down their throat. But if you've already had made headway and you're open and you're having those discussions and you're looking for something to point them to, I'd recommend that as well. Um, and then Jay Rich, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here, man. But uh, <laughs> you sent me out a link this week and your wife had actually done chapel for Wheaton and she she did expository teaching on psalm 43 that was just excellent and i would highly commend that to anyone who's looking to be encouraged in dark times uh, by the light of the gospel it was really good it's good man yes you rocked it that was going to be one of mine but i you know i got another one in the pocket so so uh yeah shout out to the wife and we'll we'll definitely link that one in the show notes uh based on what we talked about last year with discipleship i i would commend the master plan of discipleship by Robert Coleman. Now, everybody knows about his classic, The Master Plan of Evangelism, but he also kind of wrote a short work on The Master Plan of Discipleship. And I would definitely commend it to anyone who's thinking through discipling someone else. It kind of gives you that theological framework from the New Testament and gives you some practical advice on on some things that need to be done in order to disciple, make, make disciples. Um, so I would definitely commend that to folks. All right, closing shout outs. I got a shout out to the homie at the high school that I went to, Jarvis Vaughn, who recently gave a verbal commitment to Old Dominion University. So we're a small high school where I went, uh, but this is two years in a row. They've produced a division one basketball player um, coming off a state championship. We're looking forward to big things from him and that team this year. It's always been a huge a point of community pride. I'm also part of that program from back in the day. 
So shout out to my man Jarvis for um, accepting a scholarship offer from Old Dominion University. That's good stuff, man. We ball out. I see. I see. So my shout out is going to go to, and this is going to be like a negative shout out, okay? It's got to go to the Florida Gators in their swamp uniforms. Bro, why y'all going why y'all going to have alligator skin uniforms? Joints is fresh. They are terrible, man. They look like they army fatigues. Right. If that don't get you hype. That's terrible, man. That's terrible. Joints is tight. Jay Rich just for one week. I, I hope they lose. Okay. Look, you don't see Georgia going around doing all that, man. We're classic. We're classic. Last time we wore black, we got blown out by Alabama. We ain't doing that no more. Well, that doesn't seem like a fashion thing. That seems like a superstition thing. Those jerseys <laughs> are fresh. You gotta switch it up sometimes, Jay Rich. No, you're not gonna yeah, go with no they, alligator skin swamp. They Army got the fatigue. classic Tebow yeah. look, but you, sometimes you just gotta take it back to where the goons are. <laughs> like you just gotta get, you gotta get ready. The swamp, man. There's just something about that that you wanna identify with as a program. Like we we keep I'm it like so this. not looking forward to seeing those uniforms because they look disgusting. But shout out to Florida for wearing those ugly uniforms. We'll see you guys in two weeks, okay, in Jacksonville, the largest outdoor quote-unquote party. We're not going to say cocktail because they took the name out because they thought it was kind of promoting drinking. So the largest outdoor party in the world in Jacksonville. You know I couldn't go one episode without mentioning my dogs. You know that, right? Jay Rich, if I get you that Florida <laughs> jersey, will you wear it to the game? Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right. That's been episode number 44 of the Boxing One podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. This is your host, John Richards, with my boy C Lass. We are excited about you guys joining us, but we want you to go over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, leave a review for us, and make sure you head over to Facebook and add us, like us at boxing one podcast and we're also on twitter at boxing one podcast looking forward to hearing some feedback you guys have been great so far and we look forward to continuing to have this conversation with you where we look at christ sports and culture through the lens of the gospel we'll see you guys next go round peace out